and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, UFOs in Chile. That's correct, UFOs in Chile. Now, I want to look at this from a couple different angles. The first case we're talking about uh, revolves around a short documentary that was posted on YouTube by Quest TV. Uh, entertaining enough, lasts about nine minutes. Uh, you can go to the website ufowarning.com and you can link to the and you can link to uh, the little YouTube video there and watch it. I would recommend it doing that, not because it's a great video, because it's really not, but because it demonstrates what is wrong with UFO documentaries and UFO study in general today. We're getting snippets. We're getting just little tiny pieces here and there. Nobody's taken the time to really look into the subject matter to do uh, the groundwork necessary and to really uh, investigate these sightings. And the days of the UFO hunters that ran on the History Channel back in, what, 2006, 7, 8, those days are gone. Back when we had real, actual investigative work being done and being recorded and broadcast on television. Some of those wonderful programs, but we're not... We're not getting that stuff anymore. We're getting stuff like this Skinwalker, Skinwalker Ranch, rather, where this, I don't know, guy walks around carrying a shotgun for some reason. And every little thing becomes this huge dramatic event. It, it's just, it's a, little, it's a little disappointing for me to see where UFO investigations have gone. Not a good place. So to get back to the point... Um, just just to kind of describe what happened here, basically you've got these two guys working for Quest TV. They show up in Chile at this place called uh, Lake Colboon, and uh, they inform us right off the bat, back on April 20th, I believe, 2012, that the mayor of a nearby city actually reported sighting a UFO draining water from the lake. Well, we've heard these kind of reports before, so that would be an interesting thing. Maybe we could talk to the mayor. No, don't think so. The next thing you see is the two guys flying in a helicopter over the lake, contemplating the possibility that a UFO could have drained two and a half billion gallons of water out of the lake overnight. Now, I don't use the word stupid a lot, but the idea that you could run that much water through a pipe overnight seems stupid to me. But they took a quick flight around the lake, uh, examining this rugged terrain down there in Chile. You know, not a tree in sight. They're, they're up, I don't know, several thousand feet up on the side of a mountain. And apparently neither one of these guys have had access to a map, even though they've made it all the way from the U.S. down to Chile, because it's not until they're in the airplane that we're led to believe that they realize that there's another lake upstream. Well, can we go visit that lake? Well, of course we can. So the chopper pilot takes them up there, and when they land at the second lake, well, apparently somebody must have called ahead right away because they've already got a dive team on site, and they've got a local who has spotted UFOs. And so this story just jumps around in almost like a dyslexic fashion. You really, It's hard to follow. They put a dive team in the... It's, it becomes laughable. They put a dive team in the lake. These guys are swimming around there. And they find this, oh, I don't know, it's about the size of a Coleman lander, I'd say, and kind of that green collar. Uh, it's obviously a man-made uh, scientific instrument of some kind. I'd, that was my assumption, didn't know what it was, but it looks like it was put there intentionally. And uh, it's not a lobster trap. 
Well, they drag the thing back up with them, and they bring it back to town, and they take the lid off, and they can see all the gears and bells and whistles in there. Man, I don't know. This could be a UFO port, I suppose. So they take it to a local, I suppose he's a park ranger or something, and he explains to these guys, and I could use a word that was not that nice, but he explains to these guys that what they've found is a seismometer. Because where they've been at this whole time, flying around, swimming, is an active volcano range. So these lakes actually set on top of volcanoes. And from time to time, those volcanic fissures open up and of course the water drains out. But it also creates mudslides when the water drains out sometimes. So they keep those seismometers, or what do you want to call them up there, gadgets out in the lake. They're there to detect movement in the ground as an early warning system to the locals that live around there. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, and of course these guys don't seem to process that at all, but I'm thinking, do you realize that you've just removed a scientific instrument that's put in that lake to help people be warned ahead of time in case there's going to be a landslide coming? That's the level of UFO investigation today. Put a couple dummies in a helicopter, fly them halfway around the world, let them run around with a couple, like a couple chickens with their head off, say the word UFO a couple times, and then come back home. We know nothing. We learned nothing from that nine-minute documentary, except how not to make a UFO documentary. And I just wanted, I just want to read this quick article because it just really drives home the point. Now this this video was just put up recently, but here's an article from 2014. It says the massive Chilean lake disappears overnight several times a year. It says you've heard of slowly disappearing bodies of water, the Aral Sea, China's Hongjiman Lake, but Lake Cabal II in the Chilean Pelagonia disappears overnight several times a year. And then it goes on and lists a bunch of lakes. It says only about 2.5% of all the world's water is fresh. And 99.7% of that fresh water is found in snow, ice, or groundwater. That means rivers and lakes make up a tiny sliver of the world's atmosphere, or aquasphere, and the sliver is getting smaller. You've probably heard stories of environmental catastrophes in Central Asia, with lakes like the Aral Sea and China's Hongjimin Lake almost disappearing over the past 40 years due to ill-conceived irrigation projects. But sometimes... Lakes can disappear even quicker than that. Sometimes it happens overnight. There are many glacial lakes in the mountainous, in the mountainous Asin region of Chile's northern Patagonia. The massive colonial, the massive Colonia Glacier dams, a lake called Cache 2, normally two square miles of water, reflecting the nearby peaks of the Andes. But on March 31, 2012, the entire lake disappeared overnight. The sun rose on a dry, sandy valley spotted with puddles and large chunks of ice. Ninety feet of water had vanished in a matter of hours. The disappearance was dramatic, but it was, not a, but it was no mystery. The lake had vanished just two months before, on January 27th, and then and ten times in the past five years. It happens every time that rising temperatures weaken the glacier enough to, for water to tunnel all the way through the ice walls. 200 million cubic liters of water gushed out into Chile's largest river, the Baker, 
<clears throat> creating giant waves 60 miles downstream as far as the river's mouth at the Pacific Ocean. Now it goes on here and it says, uh, well, of course, the, uh, they, they bring the climate change angle in, which we know is not even part of the equation. What's happening here is you have lakes situated on top of volcanic formations. And so that's what I caution people about. Anytime that we get into uh, mainline media, uh, whoever uh, happens to be the most recent expert about, about the explanation for UFOs, everybody seems to have their own agenda. Just like in this situation here was, if it's not somebody trying to insinuate that UFOs caused this without any real proof, then they're trying to say that it was climate change that caused it. This agenda-driven uh, pseudo-investigation really is what's is what's causing, I think, more harm to uh, the UFO community than anything right now. Everybody seems to have an agenda, whether it's the people that believe that somehow. Uh, Uncle Sam's going to give us disclosure, or whether it's the people that believe that that uh, all UFOs are good UFOs. You have to be aware of the agenda and try to approach these things with an open mind. Now, I wanted to juxtapose this right here against a little different uh, encounter, and something that's probably a little more well-written. And this is also a UFO encounter from... Chile, and it says the bizarre case of the Valdez UFO encounter in Chile. Now, this happened um, back in April 25th, 1977, so it's a case that's been studied. The article is by, is by Brent Swanser, and you can find that on uh, mysteriousuniverse.org. They said, on April 25th of 1977, a patrol of six soldiers in the desert badlands wilderness of a remote area of Pampa Lascuma near Putra, Chile, were settled down in their camp at approximately 4.15 a.m. when something caught their attention in the star-flecked expanse of sky above. The men watched in awe as two very bright lights descended from the heavens, with one of them silently approaching close to the camp to show that it was a brightly lit violet oval of light with two pinpoints of red light at either end and another of the objects sinking down behind some foothills in the near distance. Its violet, its violet glow still visible, frosting the hills. The remaining light apparently then dropped down to a low altitude and seemed to just roam about over the, two, over the desert, casting everything in that spooky glow. The men at first cowered under emergency blankets, but it soon became clear that there was no impending danger and that these lights were simply hovering over the landscape, and thus would begin one of the strangest UFO encounter reports to ever come out of the country of Chile. It goes on and says, At the time, this whole light show was odd enough that they felt it was worth investigating, and the leader of the patrol, a Corporal Armando Valdez, volunteered to venture out toward where the unknown light had sunk behind the hills to check things out. Valdez checked that his weapon was loaded and ready and trudged out across the parched, scrub-infested moonscape toward the unknown as his men warily gazed out towards that eerie glow in, in the distance. Valdez would not be gone for long. Stumbling back into the camp a mere 15 minutes later, 
but something was obviously very wrong with him. He looked haggard, worn out, wild-eyed, and most oddly of all seemed to have accrued several days of beard growth in just that short span of time. Now this is kind of a little bit of the inverse of what we normally hear happen in these cases. Normally we have these missing time cases where people uh, show up days later and don't know where they've been at. They have missing time. But in this case, it's almost like he's went into this time uh, vacuum where he's been abducted or something. He comes back, he's got several days facial hair growth. So his body has aged four or five days in a mere 15 minutes. And and obviously, from what, the way the men describe him, he's worse for wear. So that's that's the first thing that really gets my attention here. It says, He looked haggard, worn out, wild-eyed, and most oddly of all, seemed to have added several days of beard growth in just that short span of time, when he had been clean-shaven just minutes before. The patrol leader seemed to have some trouble walking, and when he sat down, he merely stared off into the distance in a trance-like state, and cryptically mumbled, You don't know who we are or where we come from, but we will be back soon, before passing out. When the men searched him, they found that they found the watch Valdez had been wearing inexplicably showed that a full five days had gone by, even though he had only been gone a few minutes. And it has a picture of him down here. It says, Valdez would awaken from his stupor at 7 a.m., and oddly, his watch seemed to be frozen in time, still stuck at exactly the same point it had been when he had returned to camp. He was more lucid this time, but try as he might, he could he could remember nothing of what had happened to him after he had left that camp, much less why his watch and beard growth seemed to indicate that he had been gone for five days rather than fifteen minutes. He would later say, of his bizarre ordeal, quote, the surprising thing was the way it approached us. As soldiers, we are trained to deal with any situation, but this phenomena didn't seem to have any logical explanation. I would like to regain my memory of those 15 minutes. I would like to submit to hypnosis to draw out information about what happened. The case became a media sensation in Chile, but there was some effort made to stem the notoriety of it all with the Chilean president and commander-in-chief, Augusto Pinochet, eventually putting a ban on any further interviews with the witnesses. And it, then, and it then sort of slipped into obscurity until some researchers began digging into the story again. Notably, journalist and researcher Pat Patricio M. Buscelmi went wrote about reopening and went about reopening investigations into this strange UFO encounter. Interviewing witnesses and Valdez himself for his 2010 book, La Noche de los Centinelas, The Night of the Centuries, which he spent nearly eight years compiling after extensive digging around. Absalimi says of the project, quote, this, <clears throat> this is the case that made Chilean UFOlogy known worldwide, However, no one bothered to conduct a serious, in-depth investigation of the case. I took up the challenge in 2002, and it took me eight years to compile the protagonist's account and, resemble, and reassemble this impossible story. When I started this investigation, I did so in the secret hope of explaining the whole case in conventional terms, and I thought I was well on the way 
until the main protagonist of the story debunked the case's most controversial aspect, the growth of his beard and the wristwatch date change, by providing conventional explanations. The problem is that when I tried to corroborate it with the other witnesses, they provided a version that was mutually congruent, but at odds with one offered by Valdez. For this reason, the book poses a controversy. If someone is looking for a story of mystics in direct contact with Martians, he or she won't find it here. What they will find is information. Information and more information. The outcome of a detailed journalistic investigation that enables the reconstruction of an intriguing real case that captured headlines over 30 years ago. Well, 40 years now. Interestingly, it has come to light in recent years that the story has indeed changed somewhat with Valdez coming forward on an interview with Terra.ci to claim during his research for his own book on the matter titled The Shadow of the Truth that in retrospect he knew he was never really abducted by aliens at all, although the strangeness with the watch and the beard was all true. Wait, what? Valdez, by this time, retired from the military, would give some shocking comments on the affair that had kept people on their toes looking for answers for decades. However, he far from writes it, all, writes it all off as a fiction, rather being very cryptic about what actually happened. He would say in this interview about his hypnotic regression and the insights he gained, I've been fully involved in developing my book and furthermore looking into my experience since I wish to be as factual as possible in my story. Truly, I wasn't abducted. This is a reason for sens the sensitive nature of what I'm putting forth in the book. Some important background details are being released. Look, it's really complicated to explain all of a sudden. That's the reason behind my trip to Putre, my scientific studies, and the book I'm writing, because it's all very complicated. I would say that I knew immediately how things had happened. What I'm explaining in my book is making known the reasons for which certain items went off on another track. Indeed, I think at first that I've been abducted, although the matter of the growth of the beard is true, as well as the subject of my wristwatch. But for this reason, I have taken to writing the book to explain the reasons behind all of these things. My story and explanations have been accepted to a certain extent, and I have told them certain things in a certain manner. There are many who hold points of view different from my own, and I don't have to deny there are contradictions. But as I said, the story is mine and they have not influenced me at all regarding my book. My, makes you wonder who's got a hold of this guy. In fact, there are so many who agree or not agree with my book tomorrow, and I will not stop what I'm doing. And it just kind of rambles on there for quite a while. Very strange. It says, it doesn't make much sense to be honest, and making it even more confusing was an interview Valdez did with researcher Carlos Varaga, which was translated by Mexican UFO researcher Scott Corrales. It is a bit of a confrontational interview with Valdez being typically cryptic and constantly plugging his book. And here is an excerpt. Well, I don't know. Uh, you have to wonder what's going on with this guy. You know, In these situations, it seems like the more you look for explanations, the more dead ends you hit. All, you, all we really know for sure is that they spotted these, what, three, four orbs that uh, this Valdez went out to investigate. He came back 15 minutes later with a five-day beard growth and a watch that was moved ahead five days. Those seem to be the facts that you really can't argue with. 
Now, maybe he's upset that somebody made a lot of money off a book about his experience, and now he's trying to reclaim that. Or maybe, maybe the Chilean government got to him and told him to keep his mouth shut. Or maybe, like with some of these people, uh, he goes into this, you know, he goes into this hypnotic regression, trying to find out what happened, and whether it's it's some sort of implanted memory that was put there by the aliens or the abductors, or if it's just his way of dealing with you know, a really traumatic situation, they come back and say, well, I wasn't abducted. I, it puts me in mind of Travis Walton, you know, when he came out and he first gave his really um, scary um, accounts of what it was like being abducted by these creatures. And then later on he says, well, I don't think they were trying to hurt me. It's pretty obvious to me they didn't care about hurting him. You know, I think sometimes people, they live with this memory long enough that they try to... Um, you know, they try to fold it up into a, a neat little package and put it away somewhere where it can't bother them anymore. And people have a hard time dealing with cognitive dissonance. That means when you have two ideas in your head that oppose each other at the same time. Cognitive dissonance. Now, uh, this is... The subject gets pretty deep pretty fast, but let's just say it's a really common technique that governments use to, well, you could say brainwash people or use to push propaganda. They'll come out and they'll say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Uh, it's terrible for kids. It's not terrible for kids. They give people conflicting information. And what that does is that affects their limbic system. And pretty soon they're like a little sheep running around a pasture. They don't know which way to turn. And when that happens, when they get that state of panic, that's when the power people can come in and do whatever they want to do. And sometimes you see this happening with people that have had these experiences that have not necessarily been uh, pleasant experiences. And they're left with so much cognitive dissonance over it. Wow, how could this thing happen? You know, how, how, how you know, they're suddenly faced with the reality of some uh, power that, that uh, some entity or whatever it is that it was able to just snatch them up and treat them like a lab rat for four or five days. And they had no power over it. And for some people, the thought of that is too much, you know. The, the thought of that is, is so frightening that they can't deal with it. Now, for some of us, we have a good, strong um, faith foundation, so I guess we don't worry about that sort of stuff so much. But you could understand how this guy might be really freaked out about that. And so maybe if he would have just forgot about the situation, just went on with his life, he might have almost been better off than to go into this whole hypnotic regression where he's trying to explain things. He's really picking the scab off. And I think when he did that, maybe he came up with more questions than answers. And that's why it seems like in these interviews, what he's saying is not really making sense. He's almost in denial. He is in denial that he was abducted. You know, it's almost like a person that's been uh, criminally assaulted somehow. And they've got that thing buried in their head somewhere. So that's a little concerning. So that makes me almost feel like the situation he went through was worse than what he wants to admit to. Now, it says, it kind of concludes here, and it says, um, It seems in a sense that Valdez is just as confused about what happened as anyone else is, and for all of this, we are no closer to any real answers as to what he encountered out in that desert wilderness. If anything, was he abducted or not? What does he really think happened? What is the meaning of his beard growth, the weirdness with the watch, and the fact that five others all witnesses all witness the UFOs, that kicked off the whole thing. It is hard to say, but it is certainly known that Chile has been 
rather a hotbed of UFO sightings over the years. So it seems that there should be something genuinely strange going on here as to what that might be is anyone's guess. And the Valdez Chilean UFO encounter remains just as enigmatic as it always has been. Well, I think I think as we look at both these cases that we talked about, with the, whether it's the kind of the lighthearted attempt at a documentary that I started the show with, or whether it's just really kind of a dark abduction tale that we never did get to the bottom of with Valdez. Lots of times these sightings have. Uh, there's so many layers of confusion around them. And I think that's why it's important is if you're, uh, whether you're a professional investigator or just it's a hobby, you, you always want to follow the law personally. The thing that's the most obvious is the most likely, in other words. And so in these cases, just like with Valdez, all we can do is we can say, well, there's the UFOs. He was gone. He came back. It looks like we have missing time involved. That's all we know for sure. Just like the cases with these lakes. Well, they should have went to the easiest solution first. It would have been fun to hear them talk to some eyewitnesses of the UFO accounts. But the most likely thing with those lakes is, is that you have volcanic activity, the earth's opening up and swelling the water, and then the lake refills because you have so much snow melt coming off the mountainside. And to put the notion out there that that was what was actually causing that was a UFO. It's kind of silly. They could have investigated the idea of UFOs being around volcanoes so much. What's going on there? Because we know that there's a lot of UFO activity around around uh, volcanic activity. It's very common. We also know that UFOs frequently are sighted around these uh, high mountain lakes. Maybe they're looking for you know. Obviously, there's hydrogen and water. Uh, they could be using this as a fuel source. That would have been a that would have been a good trail to go down. So I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like the more information we get in UFOlogy today, the more misinformation we get. Whether it's from cases that happened uh, 77 years or excuse me 37 years ago, or cases that happened a couple years ago, no matter what's going on here, it's almost as if the internet is just being used to come through and just sow weeds in the garden, you know. So as investigators, it's so important that we just look at the facts first. What happened, where did it happen, and when did it happen? And then we can draw our own conclusions, but we don't know for sure what happened until we've investigated all of the possibilities. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.